Linton Leadership and Management Consulting is a veteran-owned and operated consulting company based out of Sevierville, Tennessee, with a local, national, and global reach. At Linton Leadership and Management Consulting, we provide leadership, human performance, and management consulting services, as well as coaching to companies of any size on methods to improve performance in their organizations. One-on-one coaching and mentoring is available to all individuals at any level of your organization. Additionally, large and small group seminars can be conducted. In these seminars, information on leadership tactics and techniques is shared, best practices discussed, and team building exercises are conducted, all of which serve to highlight methods on ways to increase the team's and the individual's performance. You can email the show to get the conversation started on exploring ways that we can work together to improve your team's performance. A significant discount will be offered to any Sevier County, Tennessee businesses. Welcome to the Liberty, Leadership, and Lies podcast. I'm your host, Larry Linton, and on this podcast, we'll be talking about, yep, you guessed it, liberty, leadership, and lies. More importantly, how the liberty, leadership, and lies apply to our government at the federal and state levels. So stand by as we kick off this episode. Episode 8, Liberty. Welcome back to another episode of the Liberty Leadership and Lies podcast, coming to you from the Goat Locker Studio in Sevierville, Tennessee. Today is a very special day for this podcast. We have our very first guest. If you follow this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Telegram, or the website, you already know who it is. If you're not following the podcast on those platforms, I would encourage you to do so. Today... On the topic of liberty, we'll be discussing the most vital amendment to the Constitution that protects our God-given right to self-defense, the Second Amendment. It is vital and integral to our liberty. Now, I don't consider myself an expert in this area of law, but I do understand the plain language of the Second Amendment, especially the words, shall not be infringed. But today, we will be talking with an expert on the Second Amendment. Mr. John Harris. He serves as the Executive Director of the Tennessee Firearms Association. The Tennessee Firearms Association is a Tennessee not-for-profit corporation that was formed to promote the right to keep and bear arms, restoring government to citizen control and giving full effect to the original intent of the Bill of Rights to the United States Constitution, as well as to the provisions of the Tennessee Constitution with an emphasis on the Second and Tenth Amendments to the United States Constitution and Article 1, Section 26 of the Tennessee Constitution. You can read more about the Tennessee Firearms Association on the website or the Facebook page. Please go there, click on the links, and check it out. For a bit of background, I was first introduced to Mr. Harris at a Second Amendment rally held by the Sevier County Constitutional Conservatives earlier this month. I am genuinely excited that this patriotic Tennessean and great American agreed to be on the show with us today. I am sure you will enjoy his depth of knowledge on the issue of firearms, the Second Amendment, and the issues that affect our liberty. As I have previously said, our Founding Fathers ensured the Second Amendment was added to the Constitution 
to protect our inalienable right of self-defense. So let me introduce this fine American. Mr. Harris is an attorney who has been practicing in Nashville since 1986 and who is associated with the law firm of Shulman, Leroy, and Bennett, P.C. His practice represents businesses, nonprofit entities, and individuals in general civil matters, corporate governance, estate, trust, transactional, and litigation matters. Mr. Harris also handles cases involving representation of clients before the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, including clients that have or are seeking licenses or who are undergoing license revocation proceedings as firearms dealers and or explosive permittees. Mr. Harris represents gun clubs, sports shooting ranges, security companies, and firearms instructors in matters such as formation, operation, and zoning matters. He is a referral attorney with the National Rifle Association and several other national organizations whose members are in the firearms industry or who are civilian permit holders. He teaches continuing legal education courses on the issues of firearms and the use of deadly force under Tennessee law for attorneys, law enforcement, magistrates, judges, and civilians. He accepts speaking engagements on issues involving Tennessee's legislative processes, civilian handgun permit laws, firearms ownership, and the civil and criminal aspects pertaining to the defensive use of deadly force under Tennessee law. Mr. Harris has served as the Executive Director of the Tennessee Firearm Association since 1995. He is the author of several publications, including the book, Carrying a Handgun for Self-Defense in Tennessee. He is licensed to practice in Tennessee, the Sixth Circuit, and before the U.S. Supreme Court. He received his undergraduate degree from Vanderbilt University and his Juris Doctorate degree from Vanderbilt School of Law in 1986. So please welcome John Harris to the Liberty, Leadership, and Lies podcast. John, first, thank you for coming on today, but more importantly, thank you for the work you do to ensure law-abiding legal citizens' constitutionally protected God-given rights are able to be exercised here in Tennessee. How are you today? Doing fine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's my pleasure, believe me. As I've repeatedly told my audience and, and most of my podcasts is that words matter. So an understanding of words is important to have any meaningful dialogue. So before we get started, let's define the word militia and what it meant at the time of the writing of the Bill of Rights. And in on some cases, it's still on the constitutions of other states today. Well, it is, absolutely. Uh, it is important to understand the meaning and the concept of the term militia. Uh, actually, it is a uh, concept that was well known to our founding fathers and their peers. It is a concept that had existed and was well established uh, in England even before our founders and their ancestors came to this country. And essentially it meant uh, at the time of the founding documents, and it means today, uh, all able-bodied males, now most likely all able-bodied uh, members of society, between the ages generally of 18 and 45, uh, were the militia. And the militia had a responsibility under the criminal code even to respond at the call of the authorities. Uh, in most states now, that would be the governor, uh, as appropriate to uh, emergencies uh, when the call comes out. At the, uh, at the uh, time of the founding documents, that could have included uh, invasions. Uh, it most certainly included, at the time of the Revolutionary War, uh, the battles with England. 
And it required that the citizens that showed up be prepared to serve uh, in military service and that they bring their own uh, equipment, including um, arms of whatever nature would be appropriate for military service. Um, The militia concept exists in the Tennessee Constitution. It's specifically addressed in the Tennessee Constitution. And by statute in Tennessee, uh, all able-bodied individuals between the ages of 18 and 45 are members of the militia in Tennessee. If the governor were to make a call to call out the militia and people within those age brackets did not respond to the call and respond prepared to serve, they would be subject to criminal prosecution. Wonderful. So everybody basically is the militia. That, I think that's where a lot of people try to read into the Second Amendment that says militias, meaning only police and uh, military, but it's, it's actually everybody, every, every able-bodied person or citizen of that state. And so people Absolutely. Tra- and the militia was a specific context. It was the citizens and all of the capable citizens, sometimes in some states as young as 16, uh, acting and serving in their public duty and public function as part of the military service uh, because they they abhorred the draft at that point in time. Uh, The military service uh, responsible for protecting cities, communities, and even the state uh, at the time the Constitution was formed. And technically, that same uh, structure exists even today. All right, so let's let's go into the more into the Second Amendment when we talk about arms. We need to define arms, and the reason why there's no limiting terms or definitions in the amendment, because a lot of people like to equate that as well. Arms meaning only certain types of firearms, never intending, or the founding fathers never foresaw the level of weaponry today, disregarding the fact that the musket at the time was the most advanced form of self-defense or protection existing. We even had rifled rounds, but a musket was actually faster to reload and fire than the rifled rounds that were at, around at the time. And then, as well as cannons. I mean, we just celebrated or we just marked the anniversary of the uh, the shot heard around the world, Lexington and Concord. The British were actually coming in to confiscate people's cannons in addition to their muskets. So we needed to find the term Correct. arms and what it meant at the time. Can you do that for us? Yeah. Arms, as used in the constitutional context, clearly was intended to mean all category of weapons, not just firearms, but included edged weapons, swords, knives, whatever, that someone engaged in military service would find useful or purposeful in performing military engagement. And, and that is pretty well established, not only in historical readings, but from the 17, late 1700s until at least the 1940s, the courts that looked at the definition of arms as used in the Second Amendment and in similar state constitutional provisions, such as Article One, Section 26 of the Tennessee Constitution, consistently found that the term arms as used in those provisions referred always to weapons suitable for modern military engagement. 
the Tennessee Supreme Court expressly stated that in a decision in 1871 called Andrews versus State, the United States Supreme Court acknowledged that uh, in its holding in uh, U.S. versus Miller in 1940. These people that try to conflate the two are, are always misguided. And I always say that people are misguided on this Second Amendment because our public, i.e. government schools, fails to educate us all on our founding. Absolutely. They, they do a horrible job on teaching students, and, and frankly, most voters today, of basic civics. They don't teach the constitutional concepts. They don't teach the constitutional principles. They don't even teach the truth about events like Lexington and Concord. Absolutely. So with all that being said, why don't you tell us in your own words, why do you think the Second Amendment matters? Well, the Second Amendment uh, is, is not on the books because we needed to protect the right to hunt. Or, or to um, even provide for our own self-defense. Our founding fathers universally uh, knew that those rights, those uses of firearms, were even beyond question at that time. Uh, they clearly didn't foresee the mental health issues that we see on the left today that deny those facts. But what the Second Amendment was written to accomplish and this was at the insistence of the states when the Second Amendment, when the uh, Constitution itself was circulated for ratification. The Second Amendment came at the insistence of the states where they wanted additional language put into the Constitution that came in through the Bill of Rights to make clear that the federal government, like England before it, would have no authority whatsoever to, to restrict to infringe, to regulate, to have any authority whatsoever over the civilian ownership of any category of arms. It was a uh, guarantee of a political right of the people and of the states through their people to overthrow the federal government just as they had overthrown England and just as they were in the process of uh, setting aside the Articles of Confederation and replacing it with the what we subsequently and now call the United States Constitution. So, can you can you give us and the audience what's some advice you could give or some personal tactics that we as the citizen sovereigns we can advocate for ways to protect our Second Amendment rights at the local and state level? That is increasingly. The, the reason why we, we rely on organizations like the Tennessee Firearms Association is that the, the constitutional construct for public involvement and public governance is pretty straightforward. It, it is first uh, the soapbox, the right of the citizens to petition their government, the right of the citizens to instruct their government as to what they want done, then it's the ballot box, which is the right of the citizens to change government through peaceful selection of their representatives. And then ultimately, the Second Amendment comes in as the third box in the, in the series, which is the ammo box. And it's the right of the people to, by force if necessary, displace a government, whether it's tyrannical or not, that they no longer find suitable for their purposes and to protect their freedoms. 
And, and what we have to do in this country is realize that the Second Amendment is not about hunting. It's not about self-defense weapons. It's not about weapons that only have sporting purposes. It is to guarantee the existence of the political right of the people collectively and individually to own weapons of suitable military significance that if in the hands of the people, they would be useful, purposeful, and efficient at overthrowing the government if necessary. And the Supreme Court of Tennessee acknowledged that in that Andrews decision in 1871. Right, and I I say this all the time. An armed populace is a respected populace. An unarmed populace are soon-to-be servants. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and that, frankly, is is part of what your listeners need to be aware of, is that we are increasingly seeing the tendency of local, state, and federal governments to expansively seize power that was not constitutionally vested in them because we're not standing up and telling them they have no authority. And they will continue the expansion of that power base, whether it's constitutionally premised or not, until the people start standing up and resisting. And in one area in where resistance is not only useful but necessary is to look at the candidates, primarily the incumbents, that are running for election every two years in this country. And and we got to start removing them from office if... They have, as so many have in Tennessee's General Assembly now, shown us that they are unwilling to stand up for the oaths that they took and protect the rights and the scope of powers that exist under the Constitution. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is to inform people that just sit by and listen. It's called, I call it apathy. We have an apathetic electorate that has resulted in the degradation of our liberties across the board it because we don't get involved they you know it's that old phrase you know you give them an inch they take a mile they see that they just don't the populace doesn't care or is not willing to get involved enough to protect their liberties so they'll just take more and more and more away and that's absolutely true and and what we we see it in the election cycles i mean look at the last couple of governor's elections in Tennessee, they weren't won by the individuals with the most clearly defined constitutional stewardship credentials. They were won by the people who spent the most money and ran the best campaign ads, regardless of whether there was any verifiable truth to the ads. And you see that particularly now with incumbents in Tennessee, is they run like you know, high school class presidents in popularity contests where they are bought and sold with campaign dollars as opposed to real credentials on whether or not they are guardians of our constitutional rights. Absolutely. And it, it's getting it's getting to the point where it is disheartening. So uh, let me ask you this question. What does your organization have on the horizons with regards to future legislation or advocacy? I know the Governor Lee's bill was just signed the permitless carry, which it's got kind of a, it's a double-headed or double-edged sword there. It creates some levels of crimes or 
creates new categories when it and it's not absolutely constitutional carry. It's anything but really. Yeah, that's true. When that bill came through the General Assembly, on the Senate side, for example, it was presented by uh, Senator Mike Bell, who's the chairman of the Senate Judiciary, although it was actually filed by Senator Jack Johnson. And Senator Bell, when he presented it on March the 2nd in Senate Judiciary for a vote, opened the door by describing it as uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, is, is this everything that we would have wanted in a permitless carry bill? And he answered his own question with a resounding no. <clears throat> but what he did say was, but this bill does move the ball further down the field. And then Senator Kerry Roberts, who uh, also serves on the Senate Judiciary, addressed the bill, and he said, is this constitutional carry? And he answered the question, no. He said, but it is an incremental step in that direction. And because of that, he was willing to support the bill because it was moving the ball further down the field. And then in the House, the bill was carried by Representative William Lamberth. And when he presented the bill in the committee and subcommittee systems, he made various statements acknowledging that it fell short of what the Second Amendment protects. But he made the comment, for example, in the Finance Committee that this was the biggest chunk of freedom that he thought we could get at this time. And then after the bill passed, Speaker Cameron Sexton uh, made the comments on a morning radio show in Nashville that, you know, he felt like this was the most that we could get at the time, that it wasn't real constitutional carry, that it was permitless carry in some form, and he said, but we need to keep fighting and pushing to get to real constitutional carry. And your listeners ought to be really troubled by that because all of those gentlemen that made those comments are in leadership, Republican leadership in the Tennessee General Assembly, which is totally controlled at this point by a supermajority of Republicans. And, and they're telling us in their comments that there's some force out there or some group or some individual, maybe it's the governor, we think maybe it was Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally as somewhere involved in it. But there was some force that despite the fact that we had, you know, 99 elected representatives and 33 elected senators, and of those numbers, the Republicans controlled a supermajority in both houses, that the leadership spokespersons that were making these statements felt like there was some reason why they could not achieve passing real constitutional carry in Tennessee in 2021. And I think that ought to trouble a lot of your listeners, who I assume are largely Republicans and predominantly conservatives, as to why it is that a supermajority of Republicans acknowledged before they voted on it that they couldn't achieve real constitutional carry after taking an oath that's required by law in Tennessee that they would uphold and defend the Constitution and take no action in derogation of the rights protected by the Constitution. Absolutely. And it amazes me that we have to actually go through and propose legislation that supposed to enhance our already constitutionally protected rights. That, that's amazing to me that we just can't follow the plain language of the Constitution, that we have to go in and do all these things, which 
which happens when th- when that stuff happens, it gives other people opportunities to interject stuff or like these other politicians you just said, water it down to what it's not supposed to be or not meant to be, what what is truly wanted by the citizens. They have to water it down or weaken it when it's already plainly stated in both constitutions, Tennessee's and the federal government's constitution. It, it just it's amazing to me and, and again I I trace all that back to government schools and their failure to educate our population. And and another thing that I think your listeners need to be concerned about is as the legislation on the governor's bill was presented in the General Assembly this year, legislators I mean one example was Representative William Lambert when he would present the bill in the committee systems would use the terminology that the legislature was allowing the citizens of Tennessee the ability to exercise their freedoms, or they were allowing the citizens of Tennessee to exercise their rights. And to me, I was concerned about the use and even the the belief by a legislator that they were somehow a gatekeeper when it comes to constitutionally protected rights that they could allow or disallow them, that they could impose restrictions on them, that they could put conditions on them, when the Second Amendment, in in just a few simple words, says that right shall not be infringed. And shall not be infringed contains no allowance for the General Assembly to be allowing us to do or not do anything. Exactly. So it's... Power that's gone to their heads because of an apathetic electorate. that They think they can do this, or that's what their purpose is, when they truly don't understand the Constitution of the United States and Tennessee's Constitution restricts government. It doesn't restrict the people. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a huge problem. And, and the apathetic electorate is, is, I think, a component of it. But it may even be worse than that. You know, apathy somewhat suggests that they that they could or do understand the issue, and they just don't care. I think increasingly in dealing with parts of the public, and and sadly in talking to some segments in youth groups, they don't even have the fundamental understanding that that would rise to the level of allowing them to be apathetic. Right. Okay. So. What does uh, your organization uh, have on the horizon with regards to any future legislation or advocacy that needs to be happening? Well, you know, as you know, I have for 25 years now volunteered as the executive director for the nonprofit Tennessee Firearms Association. And this year, for example, we're tracking 53 bills of that number. Maybe five or six of them are bills that we either... uh, ask the legislators to file or helped uh, by suggesting amendments to them that we think are good bills. Uh, Here's what we still have on the horizon if the only thing that passes this year is the governor's bill. Number one priority, fix the governor's bill. It's a bad bill. It, It does potentially allow some people under certain limited circumstances to carry in some geographic locations, but it is clearly not, as the legislators have acknowledged, real constitutional carry. So that's got to be fixed. Uh, another topic is addressing uh, reforms to civil immunity, which would be the issue of whether someone who has used deadly force in justifiable self-defense can be sued civilly for uh, 
to their uh, use of deadly force in justifiable self-defense. A third issue that has come up, uh, two bills were filed on this year, has to do with do we need to change the laws on use of deadly force in situations involving rioting and looting. Uh, this was highlighted by the McCluskey situation up in Missouri. It was brought to the forefront by the riots that took place in Nashville in 2020 when Mayor John Cooper encouraged Black Lives Matter to have protests in Nashville that resulted in burning of the courthouse. Um, another topic that we think has to be addressed is just an overhaul of the entire a uh, portion of the code that deals with citizens carrying guns, because as we discussed earlier for your listeners, the, the laws on these issues in Tennessee are too complex, and they need to be simplified so that everybody can clearly understand what is and is not allowed when it comes to the Second Amendment. Uh, another topic that we think has to be dealt with uh, is the issue of permits. You know, we're going to keep them. We need to keep them for reciprocity purposes. But we do, do we need to reform the system so that it's less expensive, so that the training actually provides a suitable educational experience, or do we eliminate the training completely and just have the permitting system basically be a background check where you get a, a uh, like some other states do, where you end up with a permit that you can use for reciprocity. So there's a lot of work still to be done, and the unfortunate part is almost all of these issues were, were promises and campaign assurances that Tennesseans received from the GOP more than a decade ago when they were in the minority in terms of controlling the General Assembly, and what we routinely heard was, give us the majority and we will solve these problems, and they've had it for a decade now. And they have largely turned a deaf ear to many of these problems. Before we, uh, I have to let you get back to your busy schedule. Do you have any uh, last thoughts or advice for us in the audience? Yeah, one of the most important things that, that can and needs to be done is, is we need to be educating ourselves and our peers and other voters about the truth on these Second Amendment issues and other conservative issues, but in particular... My focus is Second Amendment. And one day that they can do that is that they can sign up for the Tennessee Firearms Association's free email update service where we send out weekly uh, updates, uh, particularly during the legislative cycle, on which bills are going through the General Assembly, which ones are passing, what are the problems with the bills, which legislators are causing the problems. And then we do a legislative update at the end of the session that tells everybody what bills passed and which ones didn't. Everybody that you know that owns a gun should be signed up for getting those free email updates. And then if your listeners agree and support with the effort that TFA is trying to put forward, we would encourage them to look at joining and encouraging others to join the Tennessee Firearms Association. A membership's only $35 a year, but we accomplish a tremendous amount of work and all of the money stays in Tennessee for purposes of advancing and improving Tennessee's laws. Sweet. Yeah, I, I just uh, registered last night to get my membership. Excellent. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. John Harris, the Executive Director of the Tennessee Firearms Association and a great American. John, thank you for being on today, and I, 
I hope our listeners get out of this podcast everything that I've gotten out of it and and start to advocate more that their government be more responsive to them, the citizen sovereigns. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. You're, You're welcome, John. My pleasure. Like I was just telling Mr. Harris, I really appreciate him coming on the podcast today. If more Americans and more Tennesseans showed their concern that their government protect their rights, not allow us to have our rights, but are formed to protect our rights, we would be in a much better place. And before I sign off, I'd like to leave you with this for the rest of the week. And again, it comes from God's Word, Proverbs 12, 24. Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Apathy, laziness, erodes our liberties. Be diligent. Be the citizen sovereign our wonderful Constitution calls us to be. Be active and involved with your elected representatives. Ensure they live up to their oaths to the Constitution. Be active and involved with organizations that work to preserve our liberties and serve as our advocates in the political arena. Diligence in preserving our liberties is necessary to avoid being placed into forced labor. Until next week, when we will be discussing leadership, I pray you all have a wonderful rest of the week and a great weekend. May the Lord bless and keep you and shine his face upon you. This is Larry Linton, yours in liberty. Reveille, it's time to wake up.